Welcome to the podcast Economics is Boring, where we delve into economic principles to better understand the U.S. economy and economic theory. My name is Luis. Enjoy the podcast. All right, so welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is going to focus on a few different topics, but uh, our principle that we're talking about today uh, in regards to uh, the 10 principles of economics is uh, the cost of something is what you give up to get it. We'll also be talking about um, something called uh, utility, supply and demand, and, and then we'll be talking a little bit about healthcare at the end, um, just because the principle today is not very long. It doesn't take a lot of time to uh, to explain it. That's not usually how it's going to be, though. Usually, uh, each topic takes a decent amount of time, but um, anyway, let's get right into it. Uh, so, uh, last time we talked about trade-offs, and so if you remember, trade-offs are uh, like differences in value that you have uh, between two choices, right? Uh, so, if you can choose between working or um, having some leisure time, obviously, uh, th- there's some trade-offs right there. If you rest, then, well, you're, you're, you're well relaxed. If you work, you're going to be a little bit more tired, but you're going to have money. And so, uh, there are trade-offs right there. You can you can choose a level of working and a level of leisure, uh, but it has a certain level, obviously, of money that you'll earn and also of, uh, of a relaxation that you'll be able to have. Anyway, because people have trade-offs, uh, many decisions depend on comparing costs and benefits of, of each decision, right? And so um, some of them might seem like they're really simple. For example, if I asked you, um, would you rather get a stapler for your birthday or uh, or a 10-day cruise uh, in the Caribbean. Obviously, it would be that would be a very easy um, choice to make, a very easy trade-off. Obviously, you're trading the ability to use a stapler for probably the next 10 years or until you lose it um, for having some time of uh, being with your family and honestly having a lot more fun. I mean, staplers are not that scarce. You can find one at a your local library or, or, um, or, you know, if you're a student, you can go somewhere to, to do that. They're also not very expensive. So, um, so yeah, anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about staplers so much. The point is some choices are easier to make, but there are some costs and benefits that are harder to measure. Uh, for example, the decision of going to college at first, it might seem, well, um, what I'm getting from going to college is, intellectual enrichment, um, having uh, put better potential job opportunities in the future. Um, those are the benefits, but what are the costs? And to answer that question, you might think, well, um, it's the tuition, obviously, the books, uh, the room, you know, the apartment that I have to rent, uh, the food that I have to buy while I'm there, um, uh, maybe having to buy a car, things like that, right? And so, you might be tempted to think those are the costs, but actually some of these are not costs. For example, um, room and board or, you know, food and uh, and uh, a place to live is something you need regardless of where you are. Uh, now, you might have lived with your parents before, so uh, so that would, that would create an increase in both room and board. But if you were already living on your own, then you're not spending anything extra by going to college. Uh, maybe a little bit more if, if college housing is a little more expensive where you are or or the apartments near the college are more expensive. But in general, you'll still have to do have room and board regardless of if you're going to college or not. Um, similarly, 
For example, if you uh, decide not to go to college, you might need a car for a job. So a car is not really a cost of going to college. Um, and so that is that is really the first problem, that sometimes we calculate things that are not part of the cost of whatever decision we're making. And so when, when you're making choices, the one of the most important things to realize is that uh, you got to really calculate what costs uh, it actually will take to do the certain thing you're doing. The second problem really is that um, you can't just calculate monetary costs because there are other kinds of costs, which we talked about last time, which is your time. If you're spending time going to lectures, reading books, writing papers, and you can't spend that time working, then uh, you're losing essentially the wages of a working um of someone in the working uh, class, right, and in, in um, of a uh, of uh, labor or, or you know of having a job, you're you're missing out on those wages, uh, but in exchange you're getting the benefit of learning and potentially increasing your future earnings. Uh, similarly, if you choose to uh, work instead of going to college, you're um, you're sacrificing essentially the opportunity to have higher earnings or at least you know a degree. Um, now, I do want to make sure it's understood that, like, that uh, further education, college, uh, doesn't have a direct effect uh, effect on how much you're gonna earn when you're, uh, you know, when you're older. Uh, it really depends on what you study, and so, um, and besides that, it also depends on your work ethic. There's a lot of things that go into really saying how much school really helps for future earnings, but. Um, well, let's let's actually discuss an interesting topic here. Uh, you might have heard of something called an economic model in the past, or or just a model, right? When you think of a model, obviously we're not talking about uh, women walking up and down a runway. We're talking about a specific way of describing the world in a simpler way. For example, the bus route that you might take to go to school, or or um, or that is in your local town. Um, might have a little map where you can see where the routes go. Now, this map isn't perfect. It's a model because it also doesn't show you where all the parks are, for example, or where uh, all the businesses, uh, all the eateries, uh, the restaurants, the um, you know all the different stores you could go into along the route are. Uh, you only know that the bus takes you from one part of town to another part of town. And so it's a model of of this, you could say, of the city, of of uh, of what it is to be transported in a bus, but it doesn't exactly tell you everything there is to know about uh, the route, and so that's how economic models work as well. Um, sometimes they are not perfect. There's obviously th things that will affect uh, um, outcomes in different ways, but uh, in ec economics, we use models a lot to be able to describe things in a simpler way. So right now, I'm just trying to simplify everything by saying, you know. Um, that um, that education uh, increases your earnings, which it does to a certain extent, but obviously it's not perfect. That model is not perfect uh, because there are other things that go into it as well. Anyway, uh, getting off, uh, I'm going to get off that tangent now and, and continue on. So, um, so yeah, you're giving up the ability to work. You're giving up the ability to, um, to um, go to school if you decide to, to only work and in exchange you're also sacrificing some future wages but this is a choice that you you have to make right if obviously people's choices have to be different because people have different constraints uh, it might be that you don't have enough to go to college for a few years and so you're post postponing getting into debt you'd rather not get into debt because you feel like 
that's not something you'd like. And so uh, you might decide to work instead of go to school and uh, save up some money until you can afford at least a couple semesters or something like that. Or maybe you uh, you have it all paid for. You, you're a great student and you've, you've gotten scholarships. And so uh, you don't really have to worry about the tuition part of things. Regardless of what situation you're on, you're on what constraints you have, um, there are choices and there are benefits and costs to, to your choices. And so that's really what we're talking about here with the cost of something is what you give up to get it. Um, and an, another way to understand it, if, if you might be a little bit confused, is, for example, the cost of a candy bar is what you give up to get it, which um, in a simple sense would be about $1.50, right? You're willing to give a fifty $1.50 and in exchange, you receive a candy bar. And the seller of the candy bar is willing to receive $1.50 for the candy bar that uh, that you are getting. And that is the cost of that candy bar. Now, that might seem really dumb. You might be saying, Luis, why are you explaining something so easy to understand? I mean, uh, it's not very hard. Uh, but the biggest application of this is is the bigger decisions like college and and um and working for example or um in a more financial kind of sense and if you're trying to buy for example stock in a company and uh, you have some knowledge about the company but there are also some risks uh, of the stock market for example you might decide well i need to diversify instead of just deciding to buy to you know to put all your eggs in one basket and spend all your money on on buying apple stock right um, obviously the market's not perfect. And so you got to measure out the costs and benefits that might happen from investing in different kinds of portfolios and things like that. So yes, it is a really, I'm really telling you something kind of simple to understand, but, uh, sometimes it's hard, uh, to really think of all the costs and benefits of something. And so that's really all this helps you do. It helps you be able to understand that people make choices according to, to these principles, right? The first one we talked about last time was um, people make choices because they have choices. There is exchanges of benefits and, and costs. Uh, the one today is we're talking about what it costs, what things we have to take into account when we, um, when we try to figure out the costs and benefits of something. And so we're kind of figuring out what the cost of something is. Now, um, another thing that we have to understand and that we've been kind of implying throughout this conversation is, is opportunity costs. Now, if you've gone to college it's, and, and taken some uh, business classes, it's possible you've heard this term before, opportunity costs. So opportunity costs are um, the costs of doing something instead of something else. So uh, we've been implying it this whole time, right? The opportunity cost of going to college is uh, that you miss out on, on, um, on wages. Similarly, the cost of uh, of getting wages now is uh, missing out on the opportunity costs of, um, or not you're not missing out on the opportunity costs. It's uh, there are opportunity costs of um, of doing something of of going to college, right? Uh, and so those are costs that you do need to add into that when you're making that decision. You shouldn't just decide to get a job instead of going to school or to go to school instead of getting a job. You should take into account that you are missing out on some of those opportunities. That is why it's called an opportunity cost. Anyway, uh, people's opportunity costs are different. So you might be thinking, well, everybody's opportunity costs are the same because uh, we all have time. But what we're measuring here is not time. We're not measuring just 
the time that you would be doing something else. We're measuring how valuable your time is, for example. Now, a way that I can um, we can explain this is with an example. Um, Serena, Serena Williams, for example, the best. Uh, I've been saying example a lot. I'm I'm very sorry. Serena Williams has a higher opportunity cost, for example, that I just stated again, uh, has a higher opportunity cost than a high school student uh, that she hired to, to mow her lawn. What I'm trying to say with this is, let's say Serena Williams decided that she didn't want to spend any money on uh, cutting her own lawn. Uh, and so she hired a high school kid to do it for $10 an hour. Now the kid, the kid is, you know, mowing her lawn and, and he's just a high school kid. So he, he, barely had the chance to start working and, and Serena gives him this job and he earns about $10 per hour. So his, his opportunity costs of not working are $10 per hour. Serena Williams, however, if she decides that she doesn't want to have this kid mow her lawn, um, she might decide to do it herself. Now, her time's a lot more valuable because she's a, a great tennis player. And so if she were to take that time that she's cutting the grass to exercise and uh, practice her tennis skills. She might do better at her ne next match and and therefore win more money when um when she plays. And so her mowing her lawn costs a lot more. And now I'm not exactly sure how much tennis players get paid to be honest, but um but the idea here is that her time is a lot more valuable because her her each hour of her time has a higher cost of um or at least a higher value of how much would be paid if she could be earning money during that time, right? Now, I'm not so sure how much um, free time Serena Williams has. Maybe she does have enough to mow her lawn, um, but I I figure she's she's a high-level athlete. She's probably working quite a bit, training quite a bit every day, and, and every hour of her time has a higher value than this uh, high school kid. Now, um, both of them obviously are being benefited here, and this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but both of them are being benefited here, which is interesting, right? Serena is able to uh, increase her earnings by uh, not having to take the time to mow the lawn, which might take her a couple hours, and instead be able to work out and, and do what she needs to do to do better at her next game. And the kid's also earning money that he would not have, not have earned if, uh, if he would have just been uh, at home doing nothing, right? So obviously we can see both people are being benefited here. Now, it's not super important that you know this at this point, but in a few couple episodes, we'll be talking a little bit about uh, uh, the value of, of labor. And so I just wanted to point that out so that you could see how how um, how things work, right? At least uh, when it comes to a simple job market like this. Anyway, sorry, again, that was kind of a tangent. I hope I'm not uh, really distracting you. Well, we're going to move on to the next kind of costs that exist, and um, they're called sunk costs. Now, sunk costs are really interesting because uh, you might immediately start thinking, well, they are they are a cost. And yes, they are, but they're a cost that has been lost. There's nothing you can do to retrieve it. For example, let's suppose, I don't even know when iPhone was created, so let, let, me, let me try to make this example a little bit better. Uh, when did the iPhone okay. Does June 2007 now I'm not sure yeah okay that was that was the first iPhone well anyway I might be wrong on this but let's say that whenever iPhone made the very first iPhone uh, Motorola was working on on a 
on another cell phone, right? It might have been a newer version of their old model. And so it had some new features, uh, but it was relatively similar, right? Now, when when uh, Motorola realized that iPhone was, you know, uh, putting out this new phone, which had a touchscreen and had the ability to play games on it. I mean, I guess other phones did too, but at least, uh, you know, games with a, a little bit better quality. Um, and you could have a calculator, uh, something to call people on, um, to text, um, an alarm clock, all these different things that iPhones give us, right? It's just like our little personal computer. Motorola kind of had a decision to make there, right? Now, this is a, a little bit of an imperfect example because Motorola is going to do all they can to be able to uh, mitigate their losses because iPhones can, iPhones became really popular. Motorola probably lost quite a bit on sales because they had expected that people would buy their new phone um, because obviously it was going to be a new one. But when iPhone came, it was a lot better than theirs. And so um, the demand for people buying their phone uh, kind of went down. And so they didn't. They probably didn't get as many sales as they were expecting. Now, their thought might be, well, we already we were about to put this new iPhone out and we were already starting on the next model that we were going to sell people in, in about a year. Um, should we keep working on that? I mean, we've already spent money on this uh, and on this next year's model, uh, and we've already spent money on, on this year's model, which we've put out on the market, and all we can do now is try to mitigate our losses. But for the future, should we think about still producing cell phones that are similar to, to our, our model that we have here? Um, and if they're trying to make choices off of that, they're making choices um, based on some costs. Why is that? Well, uh, after Apple came out with the iPhone, the phone industry changed quite a bit, right? Uh, it wasn't like you could just, um, you know, sell sell uh, the regular person just a regular old phone. Uh, most people would not be interested in buying a regular old phone because they could have their own personal computer in their pocket. And so Motorola had a choice there to continue working and trying to create phones similar to what they were in the past or to try to maybe take a step into the um, to the smartphone industry. Now, I'm not sure what Motorola has done. I'll be honest. I haven't heard anything about them since. So uh, maybe they, uh, they made choices based on some costs because they thought, well, we already invested so much time and effort into creating this model. And uh, it just seems like it would cost a lot more to create a new uh, version that is similar to iPhones, right? Uh, a smartphone. And so um, let's just keep doing our own re old, old regular phones. And so by doing so, they, they made a decision based on some cost. The, the, the problem with this is that uh, no matter what they do, they've already lost out on, on potential earnings because of things that happened, right? Uh, they can't do anything about uh, about um, iPhone or Apple creating the iPhone. They don't have a choice in the matter, and so there's no point in trying to make choices based on old old ideas uh, when um, when they're not going to sell. Right? Again, I'm sure that they there's still people in the country that really like flip phones or Motorola's, but um, the majority of people. Uh, are probably going to just buy iPhones. And so that was that was maybe a question that was going through Motorola's mind. Now, that might not have been a great example. Uh, you might have not understood it uh, understood it a ton, but let's 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 maybe take an example a little bit closer to home. Let's say your family was planning a trip 
to go to I don't know Cabo and in Mexico, and you uh, you guys had been planning this for months and months and and maybe even years, right? Your parents had been saving up quite a bit of money, um, and they wanted to bring you and your wife, or just you if you're single, um, or maybe you are the parents. Regardless of what situation it is, let's say you were planning that, and then it turns out that uh, a person in the family or maybe a couple of people in the family uh, had quite a bit of problems where they could not make it. Let's say they, they got in a car accident. And so uh, their life was at risk uh, and uh, the family decided maybe it's not so good that we go uh, to Cabo because our family might die while we're there. And so we want to we wanna be with them and, and, and figure things out, right? Well, um, obviously there are some some costs right there because your family probably already spent quite a month, quite a bit of money um, booking hotels and booking flights and uh, booking all these different activities that you might have decided to do. Uh, but now you can no longer do them. And so making decisions or at least taking that into account where you're making decisions for the future uh, doesn't make sense, right? Uh, let's say that you're, it, it turns out that you're, the family member uh, is going to be all right as long as you spend a little bit more extra money um, because it's going to help him get a surgery that he needs. Well, you can't just decide to take into account uh, the costs of what you lost in Cabo. It's it's it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, those costs are gone. And even if even if you're going to be even more in debt because of the surgery, you can't be trying to make choices based on that. You have to make choices based on the present circumstances. And the reason why I'm saying this is not to lecture you about how you should live your life, but this is how companies should make choices. And this is how people should make choices as well, because it it mitigates the amount of, of losses that you incur. Um, because if you keep uh, putting money into ideas that are lost, ideas that are no longer going to be viable, then you're going to keep uh, sinking that money into that idea, right? Um, if you would have decided to try to hold the the vacation and, and try to maybe move it a couple months ahead, uh, but it turns out that that maybe the, the person that got hurt in your family is not going to be able to ever go on a trip again. Or maybe they will. May, you know, you have no idea. But uh, making choices based off of those sunk costs because you're trying to uh, retain those losses uh, is not a good idea. I mean, they're lost. You can't do anything about it. And that's really an idea that's you could even say it's more like um, more uh, spiritual, I guess you could say, right? That um, that things that are gone, we shouldn't worry about anymore. They're, they're gone. We can't do anything about it. The past is the past and you can't change it. Uh, so just focus on the future. That's really the idea here. Um, now, I'm sorry if that was all really confusing and all, but um, I was really trying to explain this, uh, I guess, in a simpler way, but I might have made it more complicated by doing so. Anyway, let's take a short uh, break to talk a little bit about our sponsor. All right, let's get right back into it. So let's talk a little bit about utility. Now, it's possible that we'll be taking the rest of this episode just talking about utility. I'm not sure how much I'll be able to do that but um, because I really love this topic. Utility is uh, the subjective value that you give something. Um, for example, um, it's really subjective. For example, I could say my computer has a billion utility. And then my wife could say, well, my computer has two utility. And then uh, my mother could say, my computer has um, 15 utility. It doesn't matter what value it is. Um, it is all subjective. And it, it's it's on different scales for different people. And so that's why it's subjective. Um, now, you might be thinking, well, that seems like a bunch of nonsense to be basing uh, economic 
things on, right, and economic decisions on. But it actually does work uh, in, in a few different ways. So let's talk about utility between two goods just to have a simpler model, right? Let's say you have the choice between an iPhone, or, you know, your, your smartphone, sorry. Um, I'm an iPhone user, so uh, sorry for all those that are not. Um, but um, let's say a smartphone. You have to choose between a smartphone and, uh, I don't know, uh, an HP computer or just a personal computer. Now, depending on the person, some people might have a higher level of utility for the smartphone than they would for the for the computer. But maybe some other people have a higher value for the computer than they do for the for the uh, smartphone. Um, my wife and I have different utilities. For example, hers, she prefers her laptop a lot more than she prefers her her. her um, um, smartphone. I prefer my smartphone a lot more than I prefer my laptop. I usually use my laptop to record this podcast, to play video games, to do homework and uh, work and stuff. And so uh, that's all I use it for. My wife uses it for a lot more things. Um, and I use my phone for a lot more things than I do my computer. Uh, that's where I uh, do most of my reading and and uh, a lot of things like that. Anyway, it's not important. What is important though is... Um, the order in which our um, preferences are. Now, um, let's say that I I would prefer, and, and laptops and iPhones are not, sorry, smartphones are not the best example to talk a little bit about this. So let's move on to another example with food. Um, let's say that I have to choose between two goods, which are uh, apples and bananas. Now, let's say that for every one apple, I would prefer to have two bananas, or I would, I would, uh, be equally happy if I had two bananas. What that's telling you is that two bananas are equal to one apple, or in a sense that if we do a subjective, a subjective uh, utility valuing of, of apples and bananas for me, uh, bananas are half the price of an apple, right? Or half the utility of an apple. You could say that I have uh, 10 utility for an apple and five utility for a banana, because then I would have 10 utility for two bananas and 10 utility for, for one apple. So that tells you that I have equal utility between those two. And so the important thing to note here is that um, the values, the differences in values are not very important because it very easily could have been uh, 100, 100 uh, you, you know, uh, utils. The, the unit for uh, utility is called utils. So um, I could have as easily have had 100 utils for an apple and 50 utils for a banana. And that would be exactly the same thing. The difference in, in distance is not as important as the order in which they are. So what I'm saying by that is that the that preferences are ordinal, not cardinal. Cardinal means that the value of the of the difference in the units, the value of the unit is important. But in, in with when it comes to utility and preferences, only the order is important. So what is what is important here is that I prefer apples to bananas, obviously, because I'm not I wouldn't be willing to take one banana for one apple. I'd only be able to to uh, I'd only be willing to take two uh, bananas for one apple. And so, obviously, I prefer apples in this sense. Now that's not actually true. I prefer bananas, but not important. And so, <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I know I, I go into a lot of little tangents and and things like that, but um, I just think it's a little bit funny and hopefully entertaining. Anyway, um, so so yeah, you just 
you you can figure out what a person's uh, utility is based on that. And now now if we try to broaden that, what we would do is ask the person everything that they like and the order of what all of this, uh, all of the goods and services that they prefer are in, right? We could figure out what he feels about cars, what he feels about specific types of cars, what he feels about um, staplers, what he feels about uh, dresses. Uh, it could be whatever you wanted. You could try to get a number of utility that this person has for those goods. Fortunately, that's really hard to do because you can't just go around to every single person and ask them how they feel about every single thing that exists um, in, in, in terms of like... Um, goods and services. You couldn't just do that. And that would be pretty hard. But what we do have is we can see how many goods of each quantity people are buying. And, and by doing that, we can see what preferences are for a group of people. And so that's kind of how the, the, like how statistics work a little bit, or at least not statistics, but uh, economic, um, agencies in the U S work, they calculate how much people, how many types of goods people bought, and they kind of try to figure out how much they are preferred to other things. And that's how they figure out something called demand. Now, we didn't completely finish our talk about utility, but we will next episode. Um, but that is kind of the simple way of understanding utility. It is it is how much you value certain goods. It essentially measures your preferences. Utility measures your preferences uh, regarding different things. And so that is the simplest way I can put it. I'll leave it at that. Let's go right into supply and demand. So really, that's how you figure out the demand of a group of people. Now, if you have no idea what supply and, dem uh, and demand are, and, and you might be living under a rock, so that's why you might not know. Um, and you also might not know because you've only heard the name. You haven't actually uh, learned anything about it. But supply and demand are, um, you could say, the means of understanding uh, what people are willing to buy and what producers are willing to sell at a certain price and at a certain quantity. Now, that, I'm sorry if that's a little confusing, but just imagine for a second in your mind a little graph and imagine two diagonal lines. One's going up to the top right corner. The other one's going to the bottom right corner. And uh, those are supply and demand. One is supply. Supply is the one that's got a positive slope. It's going up to the right top corner of the little graph. And demand's got a negative slope because it's going down to the bottom right corner of the graph. Now, the reason that makes sense, and if you just think about it a little bit, supply, it, oh, and, and let me just talk about the axis a little bit. The axis of this graph are very important. Quantity is the uh, x-axis and price is the y-axis. What this means is that as quantity increases, producers uh, are willing to accept more and more money for the quantities they are producing. If they are producing higher levels of quantity, they uh, they also want to receive higher levels of, pri of price per, per good, right? And the demand or the consumers um, have a negative relationship there because as you increase the, the quantity of something, uh, you want it to be uh, or not quantity, I should be saying price. As you increase the price of something, the quantity that you're willing to buy goes lower and lower. And that's because uh, as prices go up, you don't want to buy something that's really expensive uh, that you could have bought cheaper earlier. So as prices go up on certain goods, you're less willing to buy those goods. And so that's what supply and demand are. They are this relationship in between what consumers and producers are willing to do. 
Um, and obviously, like I already mentioned, producers are willing to make more goods as they get more money for each good that they make. Uh, they wouldn't be willing to take less money for more goods than they than they make. So that's why they have a positive relationship there and demand has a negative relationship. Now, it ends up being that these two lines cross at a certain point. And that point is the equilibrium of, uh, of um, supply and demand. Now, what this equilibrium tells us is what the economy is currently doing, right? Uh, what people are currently willing to pay for a certain price in a certain quantity of goods and what a certain uh, group of, or not group, but what the suppliers in the economy, uh, the the producers of goods and services are willing to accept for as a price for those goods at that certain quantity. And so that tells us kind of the equilibrium of where people that, that really tells us where the price should be of certain goods. Now, it's kind of hard to measure the supply and demand for the economy as a whole because uh, it probably looks more like a curve. And uh, and it's it's just a little bit harder to measure uh, in, in not a simplified way. All we can know, though, for sure, is that the demand uh, slope is negative because, like I've already mentioned, as prices increase, people are less willing to buy uh, more goods, more quantity of goods. And so people kind of make sure that suppliers don't take advantage of them because if they do too much, then um, uh, people will stop buying because they don't want to pay more than they need to for a good. Uh, and similarly, suppliers can uh, stop uh, consumers from uh, asking or only be willing to pay uh, very little amounts of money for goods that are valued at more uh, with their positive relationship that they have with supply. Anyway, the important thing here with supply and demand is that uh, that is how we measure uh, how much, uh, what a price should be in an economy, as well as uh, how much people are willing to buy and how much people, how much producers are willing to sell. And so um, it just helps us to better understand uh, what, what, I guess other things in the economy, which we will talk about later, probably at the end of these first 10 principles of uh, of the economy. But that's that's the basics of supply and demand. They help us know uh, where what people are thinking when it comes to buying goods and services. Um, in a simpler model, you could be doing this again with apples and bananas. And as prices of apples go up, people are going to be more willing to buy bananas because um, even if they prefer apples, if apples go too high, then bananas are a good um, uh, you know, they could just easily go buy some bananas to satisfy their their levels of utility. Um, and so, I mean, they, they help us understand things like that. So supply and demand are very important. I don't think um, I was, I don't think we'll be able to explain exactly why that all is in just one episode. And so keep tuning in, but they help us understand uh, why people make certain choices and why producers ask for certain prices of certain goods and things like that. Now, let's get into talking a little bit about healthcare and more importantly, uh, some policies that, that have been uh, suggested by government officials about healthcare, mainly being uh, free healthcare. Now, you know, I'll, I'll be pretty straight up with you guys. I love capitalism. It is the best way that anybody can get out of poverty um, in you know it is the best economic model or not model the best economic uh, um uh, what am i trying to say Ty 
It's the best way of running an economy, capitalism, because uh, because and and this again might take some time. So I'm I'm not maybe I'm not going to say because but capitalism is better because it helps us to be able it, it it allows for free exchange of labor and goods and services without any kind of government intervention, which government intervention can have an effect on um, how much people are willing to buy and how much producers are willing to produce. And let's talk a little bit about that in, in respects to healthcare. Now, these laws that would make healthcare free uh, are negative in some, in some ways because, and, and by some ways, I mean like really, really most ways, because um, you got to think about who the producers are here and who the consumers are. Consumers are you and me and everybody in the world that needs health, uh, health services, uh, people that get sick. Those are the consumers. And the producers, you could say, are doctors. Now, doctors have spent uh, sometimes 10, 12 years of their lives studying what there's, uh, you know, medicine to be able to help you get better. And what's going on is that the government essentially is deciding by, by creating free healthcare, is deciding that they are going to charge you taxes to pay doctors what the government thinks doctors should accept. The problem here is that suppliers or doctors are not willing to accept a low a low price right here because they have spent 12, 12 uh, years of their life studying how to become a doctor, how to understand medicine. They spent quite a bit of money of uh, doing something that is very valuable. Obviously, the value of human life is huge, so you can't just say, well, uh, let's pay doctors $2 per, per uh, person that they help. And so they've been spending quite a bit of time and money investing it into making sure that they have a profession that is going to um, value them how much they are really worth, which is a lot. Doctors are worth quite a bit. They work really hard. And so when the government decides that it's going to decide how much doctors should be paid, what it ends up doing, unfortunately, is making doctors take a lower pay than they should. Uh, the problem with this is that doctors are going to respond to this, just like we talked about in supply and demand. They're going to decide that they're less willing to produce the same amount of services um, because if they're not going to be getting paid more, why are they working more, right? That's that's just basic logic. Why why would you be willing to get paid less for doing more work? That just doesn't make sense. And so uh, a lot of doctors will end up deciding to leave the U.S. and go to other countries where their labor is valued a lot more. And so here's here's one of the biggest problems with healthcare for all or Medicare for all is that it really does damage the ability of doctors to do their job. It makes it so that they are less willing to do their job. And so uh, they end up not being able to do so and, and they end up moving to other countries. And so fortunately, uh, for in some ways, some doctors will stay. But unfortunately for us, those doctors are not the best doctors. The best doctors will decide their labor is a lot more valuable. They'll go somewhere else. The lesser doctors, the, the doctors that are not nearly as good, will stay because obviously they still want to get paid. And maybe they weren't getting hired at all before because nobody wanted a bad doctor. But now, because the government's deciding the cost that should be paid to doctors, and they're the only ones left, um, they end up being the ones that take care of our medicine. Now, this is a big problem, and again, this is a really heated uh, political debate. I'm not, I'm not putting any kind. I'm not. I mean, I, I'm, I don't consider myself either um, on either side, really. I just consider myself someone that really believes in economics and how they work. And unfortunately, the you know, nationalizing the, the healthcare sector is not a good way to um, 
to run an economy because it makes it so that the doctors leave and the healthcare um, quality uh, goes lower because you get a, you end up getting stuck with the worst doctors uh, wherever you are. Now this has happened in other countries. I'm I'm a native of Mexico, so I I know a little bit about um, some socialization of industries and and nationalization because uh, Mexico has some nationalized industries. Now, when I was younger, I remember going to going to doctor's offices, <clears throat> and yeah, they were pretty cheap. They were relatively cheap. They were about um, I don't know twenty dollars for a uh, same day appointment. Uh, the problem was that the quality was really bad. Sometimes the doctors had no idea what was wrong with us, and we uh, ended up going home and still sick. And so we, then we had to return to the doctor, and then he'd uh, try to figure out something else. And then we'd come back, and we'd just keep doing that for a decent amount of time until we got cured. And sometimes it was just a common cold or just uh, maybe the flu that we had, and we had to spend quite a bit of money or, I guess, time and money on trying to figure out what that was. Um, additionally to that, the best doctors were always really booked and you could never get an appointment with a doctor until a way later time. And so those are some of the issues also that happen on the side of, con uh, of consumers, right? Right now, we've only been really talking about the, the doctors and what concerns they have, but us as consumers have the concern that lines are longer, doctors are worse, and, um, and the costs eventually do go up because if, if, um, if there is less and less doctors, then eventually the price is going to have to go up for people to be able to get in to see a doctor that really need to see the doctor. And so uh, government's going to have to start asking for more and more taxes of people so that they can pay for the doctors that are uh, being overworked, even if they're not that good. And so that also happens, and it, that's also not very good. And so you can't just try to nationalize a sector uh, outright. You have to be able to give the market the opportunity to to fix these problems. I think the best market solution, like I've already mentioned, is just capitalism, uh, straight up capitalism, Let, letting doctors be able to charge whatever they want for their services. Now, you may think, well, that sounds kind of counterintuitive because doctors will just raise their prices infinitely. Well, if they do, it's going to be very hard for them to get a lot of patients. Yeah, they might get a couple, but uh, eventually they're going to run out of people that are willing to go with uh, more expensive doctors. And then uh, do other doctors that want to make more money will decide to uh, lower their prices and uh, people will go to them. And so what will end up happening is that people are able to have cheaper and cheaper doctors because the doctors will compete in between the, each other uh, for the market, for, for, for consumers, right? For you, for you to come to them. And so... Uh, that's what I think personally, and and obviously I'm not some kind of genius in economics, so I can't say that that is exactly the right way. Uh, but a lot of economists do agree with that, and uh, they agree that capitalism is is the best way for markets to be run. And so um, that is what I I would suggest with this podcast that capitalism is the best way of make ensuring that uh, market supply and demand uh, are at an equilibrium that makes it so that people are benefited the most. Now, we'll be talking a little bit more about um, supply and demand and all these other things so that you better understand why it is that um, we want the markets to compete in some later episodes. So stay tuned in and um, thank you for listening today. Uh, hopefully you understood and had a good learning experience. Next episode, we'll be talking about how the ra how rational people think at the margin. Now, this is 
relatively similar to what we've been talking about, but it's it includes a little bit uh, more um, more thinking, I guess you could say. So thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful day.